Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Our Messy Church podcast, or I guess it's My Messy Church, right? Well, it's becoming Our Messy Church, right? Because uh, it takes more than one to have a church. So uh, I think Our is appropriate. Uh, but of course, we already created the graphic, so it'll still just be called My Messy Church. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, we have a, a number of questions related to uh, spiritual maturity, uh, spiritual disciplines, things like that today uh, in light of our conversation from this past Sunday. So thank you, first of all, for uh, for all of your questions, and uh, let's get right into it. All right. The first question we have is, what would be your number one encouragement or advice to Christians to combat the mere human? Now, I could interpret this question in one of two ways. Um, if, 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 it's, if the question is, uh, first of all, let me just explain what I think the person is, um, means by mere human, because that's, that's language that I used uh, from our text this past weekend, where uh, the idea that Paul is trying to come across with to the Corinthian church is that they were, they were people that were of the Spirit. That is, they were filled with God's Spirit. But they were acting like, and the word he uses expresses the idea that they were acting merely human. In other words, acting as if they were human beings who did not have God's spirit. And so I, I think the question is probably asking, you know, how do, how do I, let, like, let's assume that I am a person of the spirit trying to live as and to act as a person with God's spirit. How do I combat the person who is acting more like the mere human, uh, suggesting perhaps that like within the context of uh, the church, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, the relationship between one Christian and another Christian, right? And you have one who is having a tendency of acting more like a mere human as opposed to a spirit-filled human. Um, so first thing I would just say is, well, maybe, maybe we move off the idea of combat. <laughs> I think that'd be my, that'd be my number one thing. Uh, the, the, the moment that you get into a combative kind of arrangement with another person, uh, there's a really good chance that very little in the way of, uh, productive will, will, uh, result from that. And so I think that regardless of in any of our human interactions with one another, uh, whether they're people that are close to us or not, I mean, we're always, hopefully trying to seek what it means to, to defer to, and to prefer the other person. That is as far as we can go to, um, to, to put the thoughts and the feelings of that other person, even before our own. So that rather than just simply even like, let's say that other person, that other person is in fact being combative, uh, to respond in kind with, uh, combative language, combative kind of attitude, tone, anything like that. Again, I just don't think it's going to be productive. Really good chance you're not going to get the person to just suddenly stop and be like, oh man, I can't believe how 
how combative I'm being or, or um, how merely human I am acting. And, and so given the reality that it's just likely not to be productive, um, like, like let's look, let's look to, let's look to try to engage a person another way, appeal to another a person in another way. Uh, Jesus was, he seemed to be really great at this, right? I mean, he obviously had a lot of people that would come to him with various accusations or criticisms uh, regarding him, his ministry, his disciples. And uh, a lot of times Jesus would, he just respond uh, with questions, right? We see in the gospels, Jesus asking all kinds of questions. In fact, a lot of times when he was asked a question, rather than just simply giving an answer or trying to make a case or an argument, he would respond with his own questions. And I get that I mean, Jesus probably had it a little more artillery uh, to ask really good provoking questions that, you know, you might find yourself uh, finding difficulty kind of reaching for the language uh, to express what's in your heart, what's, you know, but anyway, if, if you just find that a relationship is becoming tenuous, you know, between you and another person, uh, don't, don't try to fix it by, uh, by being, you know, by, by being louder or trying to be more violent with uh, the way that you're coming across, because it's, it's just not going to do any good. And, and recognize that you're not responsible for that other person's behavior or attitudes or anything like that. What you're responsible for really is your own. Uh, and so, you know, just kind of do your best to try to stay within this idea of being a person who is filled with God's spirit and, and as such uh, to, um, you know, to respond in a way that would, would demonstrate uh, the infilling of that spirit. <clears throat> now, I don't mean to suggest that that you have to be a person that just you know kind of like rolls over and is easily walked over, and you have nothing to say. No, I mean I think if there's if there's a conversation to be had, go ahead and have that conversation. Just do it in a spirit that is reflective of uh, the the kind of love that I think Jesus demonstrated in so many of his interactions uh, as well. The next question we have is, what spiritual disciplines do you recommend for those who are seeking to become more spiritually mature? Uh, there is, there's a lot of books that you could get uh, on, on spiritual disciplines. Uh, one that I really like, and I would definitely encourage uh, really anybody that's following Jesus to, to get and to read, is uh, called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, a very famous kind of classic book. And uh, I pulled up the table of contents here just to sort of help me uh, share with you the way that he's organized uh, various disciplines. So he has uh, kind of three sets of disciplines. There's inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and then uh, what he calls the corporate disciplines, right? And so the inward disciplines are meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. Uh, so this is, this is stuff that we do oftentimes more privately uh, and inwardly. Uh, obviously, meditation is the, the discipline of uh, of sort of quietly placing yourself before and in the presence of God and reflecting on, on various things. I mean, it could be, re you know, kind of reflecting on your own thoughts, could be reflecting on something that you've read, uh, that you're just allowing to process in your mind and your spirit, reflecting on what you, uh, are, are maybe hearing from the voice of God, uh, prayer, you know, uh, really goes along with, uh, with meditation. Fasting is, I think a spiritual discipline that's been largely lost uh, on us. Uh, I talk about it from time to time. Uh, and, and I think probably it deserves to be brought back to a place of prominence when it comes to our, our routines. Uh, you might, uh, you know, you might decide that you're going to fast 
every 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 week uh and and people there's there's lots of different kinds of fasting and so he'll talk about uh some of of that and there's lots of information uh but i if if the idea of withholding food from yourself for a period of time sounds like well you know that seems silly and not something that i want to do i'd encourage you to actually look into it and try it and see how it uh, kind of reorients you spiritually and then study right it's even beyond just simple surface reading of the bible and 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 other like spiritually enriching resources, but actually like studying things, really trying to kind of get into and discovering things. So those are the inward disciplines. The outward disciplines are simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. Um, simplicity, again, another big one for us uh, in the modern era, right? Who are tending to live in in a world of very, very deep complexity. Uh, we We have lots of things, right? Most of us possess an incredible number of things. And if you think about how, relatively speaking, people of uh, of the not so distant past, like before industrialization afforded us the opportunity to, first of all, produce mass quantities of goods and then also raise the levels of economy uh, to allow us to purchase many of those goods. Uh, the, the 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 life of simplicity that people once lived enabled them so much more space and opportunity to actually have an inward life. Uh, most of us, if we're not intentional about it, we actually lack an inward life. There's very little time for introspection, for quietly uh, putting ourselves into a, a you know into a posture where we might actually hear something from God or see a a place where our, our, our lives could be changed and reoriented. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, simplicity is the discipline of loosening ourselves from all of the things that are currently attached to us. Uh, again, for us, a lot of times that's possessions, could also be activities. Uh, we, we diversify our activity portfolio among all different kinds of interests and entertainment and things like that. And the more complex is that cornucopia. Ooh, that was good. Uh, cornucopia during Thanksgiving season. Um, uh, that cornucopia of, of, uh, of, you know, entertainment options, things like that. It, again, it's just, it, it pulls us away from the ability to, uh, to find ourselves with, with the time, um, this, this resource that we all say we don't have enough of, we don't have enough of it because we're not, we're not living simply, uh, you know, solitude. There's some people that really despise the idea of being alone, uh, but solitude can be a very enriching time uh, of growth for us when we, uh, you know, again, we position ourselves outwardly we, we, or intentionally. We make, we make it a point to get alone. Uh, we see in the Gospels, oftentimes the narratives telling us that Jesus went to a place alone. Uh, Jesus practiced solitude. He went. He didn't just go alone because he was he was wanting, you know, to to. He, he's he was afraid of like what, whatever whatever prayers he might be praying or or, or whatever that like other people would hear that and 
yeah, it was, no, it was the idea of solitude was, it was a time of actual refreshing for him. And he spent so much time in and among people doing obviously incredible kinds of ministry and outreach. And, um, that can be exhausting to us, not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And so, uh, solitude helps us to, to get away from that. And the other two were uh, submission and service. And then there's the corporate disciplines, uh, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. So um, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, regarding confession, I'd say that's another one that is oftentimes lost on us. Confession is the idea that we are coming out with uh, our, uh, those, those things in our lives, uh, those areas of our lives that are not, that aren't right. And that need where we need forgiveness. We need grace. We have a tendency to try to just to either blow past any of our shortcomings or sin, uh, or like not let it be the, the big deal that it's supposed to be. And, and when we do that, when we lack a posture of confession that, that actually, I mean, it's one thing to have a, an attitude of humility that that accepts and identifies that I am a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a broken person. I make mistakes. Uh, like we can all say that that's very easy. It's a whole, it's a whole nother thing to say, to look into the face of another person and, and tell them, you know, and to be honest and vulnerable with, with what's going on in your life or some area of struggle that you may be having for which you need their, their support, their help, their, their love, their prayer, um, things like that. So again, celebration of discipline, great book. Uh, I encourage you to get it. And I think that'll probably really help. Uh, next question is how do I become spiritually mature? Uh, so the way we become spiritually mature is I think in, in, first of all, I, I mean, we just went over all these, these disciplines. Those aren't even all of them. I mean, there's, there's other things that we can do spiritually speaking, uh, to, to grow ourselves, but like doing those things, being intentional about doing those things, I think is part of the process of how we become spiritually mature. So the emphasis being that there is a doing, there is an intentionality that is necessary. Spiritual maturity is not going to happen. Right. So I was making the point on Sunday that maturity happens, right? Everything, or in other words, everything that's alive is growing or developing into something, right? So everything is in a maturation process. And the real question is, well, what are we actually maturing into, right? There's a, there's, there's a thing for which we have been designed to grow into, but that oftentimes gets perverted along the way uh, or somehow like on the wrong path. And the, 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 the destination for which we are actually, you know, maturing toward is, is, is not the place that we were created for. And so we're, if we're looking for like true actual spiritual maturity, then we have to be intentional about uh, how, we are, how we are managing our lives. So embracing and practicing the disciplines will do it. So uh, we could talk about, for instance, the discipline of prayer. And we could talk about how important prayer is, how significant prayer is to the life of a person that wants to have actual, uh, community with, with God. Right. Um, and so, okay. Prayer is important. Well, it's great. Well, but if I never pray, if I never actually force my, the, 
and this is where the physical part of me comes into play. I, I, I embody uh, the priority and the significance of praying by actually taking the time to pray. That may involve posturing myself. Uh, you know, why do people pray on their knees, right? Or lay prostrate or stand or, or walk, right? There's lots of different ways that we can pray. There's lots of different postures we can be in physically, but to be intentional about actually going through the routine of praying, uh, which I, I would recommend to whatever extent you can pray out loud, like let your words actually come out out loud. Uh, if you can find the space and the privacy to do that. Um, because when we, when we, when we get our bodies to do something, remember we're human beings. And so to be a human being is not to be a mind and a mind alone, right? We, that's, that's not who we are. We are not merely to be understood as an immaterial being that just happens to be confined to a physical body, right? There's, unfortunately, there is, there's so much kind of going on uh, in the world, in Christianity, and this has been happening for a long time, this, this very, very low view of the body, the human body, as being sort of a prison, right? That we have to kind of try to escape from. In fact, there were whole religions oriented around the idea of what uh, the ideal kind of existence was, and that was freedom from this physical body. It's interesting in the uh, in the teaching of scripture, like we're told that we are presently live in these bodies, and that there is a future state right? The eternal state where all the wrongs are made right. Uh, everything is like Jesus comes fully and completely in his kingdom and we live forever. We actually become these, these, these beings that will live eternally in God's presence. But guess what? Even in that state of existence, we have bodies. It happens to be a new body, a, 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 an incorruptible body, a body that will not decay and get sick and experience disease uh, and die, right? But it, it's a body nonetheless. So uh, one thing we understand about human beings is that we are not, we are not just a mind, right? We're not just this immaterial thing trapped inside a body. We are embodied people, or we're embodied. Um, yeah, uh, we have, we have our, we have our, we have the physical part of us and the non-physical part of us. And so to disregard the physical part of us when it comes to something like spiritual maturity, thinking that, well, oh, spiritual maturity is just a thing that goes on in my mind, right? It's just a, it's just a matter of growing. No, I mean, it's, this is why, this is why fasting, for instance, is a spiritual discipline. There's nothing magic that happens because you fast, right? Fasting doesn't, fasting does not have this like inherent sort of uh, and magical way of releasing the power of God. In, in your life or in the world. But what fasting does do is it, it by um, withholding something from the physical part of you, right? And, and, and increasing the level of, of appetite, right? This, this, um, uh, you know, when you're fasting, you experience a, you know, obviously a growing desire for food, right? And there's a, there's a recognition that my body is not getting something that it's craving and desiring, but at the same time, and kind of proportionately to that, there's also this increased awareness of what is happening 
in and around our lives spiritually. Like there's, uh, I, I don't really know exactly how to explain it, but there's a, there's a keener and finer sense, um, of uh, an awareness of God's presence, um, of, of spiritual things, the unseen things that happen because, because we've, we've, we've done something with our bodies. And so, uh, embodying the idea of spiritual maturity is such an important thing. And if we don't, if we don't do it, if we, if we just treat our bodies as, you know, these contemptible parts of us that really are not all that important or that don't play a part in uh, the process of spiritual maturity, we're really, we're just going to, we're just going to miss it. We're not going to actually grow into spiritual maturity. So, so doing right. Like, um, we are, you know, our heritage is evangelicalism, uh, as compared with some more, you know, kind of traditional, um, churches that, that have, that, that place a, a lot of importance in, in rites and rituals and, and things like that. You know, so for instance, uh, you know, Roman Catholicism, has if you're if you're a practicing Roman Catholic, you're going to grow up, and there's going to be prayers that you're going to learn. You're going to memorize them, and they're going to become prayers that you discipline yourself to 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 pray every single day. For instance, uh, and there's other things. There's there's just there's there's certain things that that you do kind of as rites of religion that help your body to play a part in uh, in connecting with God. Uh, which is done, of course, spiritually, and evangelicalism. Uh, you know, uh, while uh, while I prefer the, the the less ritualistic form of religion that you might find in some of these other, um, you know, some of these other kind of branches of Christianity, it's uh, we do sometimes we do sort of suffer uh, on on the other end for. For, for not giving any importance uh, to some of the enriching rituals that might actually allow us to do a better job of connecting with God. So if you want to become spiritually mature, um, take into deep consideration the way you're acting. I mean, I was talking about spiritual maturity as like what Paul was witnessing was a lack of spiritual maturity because people were doing things that were demonstrations of their spiritual immaturity. They were, they were causing strife and division. Um, they were, uh, they were, they were, they were jealous of one another, right? Like they had, they had these, again, in Paul's words, like these merely human ways of behaving, um, these merely human attitudes that were not being, uh, influenced by or under the control of God's spirit. They were just, they were just the they were that they were the way that you would expect humans, like merely humans, to to operate. And so, as such, like the more they were willing to just live and wallow in those those merely human ways, it was hampering their ability to become spiritually mature. So do the opposite, right? Like when you find yourself doing things that are that that go along with spiritual maturity, like stop it, just stop. Stop doing it, and and that resistance, that the the practice of yeah, I want I want to do this, or I want to say that, or I want to lash out at you know these impulses that we have, these these very um, 
kind of base level human impulses that we have when we when we suppress them and say no to them um with 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 both the help of God's spirit and also with a kind of disciplining of our own selves it actually it actually gets easier right um i use the example of uh, a toddler that might throw a temper tantrum because they don't get their way it's like well you would expect a toddler to do that that's they they don't they don't have all of the tools necessary to communicate wants and needs or to negotiate the terms of an interaction. I mean, all they know is they're not getting what they want, and so they throw themselves to the floor and they have a temper tantrum. Uh, but we have to grow out of that. We have to at some point we have to be doing less of that and assimilating more of the kind of grown up ways of relationally interacting with other people, right? That's, that's what it means to grow into maturity. All right. Uh, next question is how do we know if we think we are mature, but we are actually still spiritual babies? Well, that's, that can be, that can be tough. Um, the, the first thing I would, I would say, to, you know, cause it's just, it's so hard to be, it's so hard to be critical of oneself. You know, we can talk all we want about how, you know, I'm my own worst critic, but the reality is as much as I might think that I am being very critical of myself, we all have the capacity for incredible blind spots. I mean, you know, the blind spots that other people that you interact with have, right? You, you see something about their attitudes or behavior, the way they talk or the way they are. And you're, you're just, you're just scratching your head wondering like, why can this person not see this? You know, it's kind of like, um, this might sound disrespectful, but you, you, you come across somebody that's got really bad body odor, right? You've ever wondered like, what, how, like, how does, how does this, I, I mean, everybody knows that this, this, this person has really bad body odor, except for that person. They just. They're, uh, they've been, their nose has been completely, um, attuned to it for so long that it's invisible to them, right? They, they just, they have no, no idea, um, that they smell that way. And, and so it is with, uh, with our behavior and with our attitudes. Um, while, I, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have experienced this too. I mean, there's been times where I have caught myself about to, but more often I've caught myself after, right? After I've, after I've done something, after I've said something, you know, there's, is like, oh, I, 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 like, I totally blew that. Sometimes it's because like, I see the hurt that I caused another person. Like I saw it in their eyes. I saw it, I saw it in the way another person responded. I'm like, oh my goodness. I just like, that was, that was so bad of me. Right. And we can, and we can see that sometimes we don't even need to see the reaction of another person. We just, we, we act out and immediately we have this regret for having done that. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have the capacity for that, but there are also just things that it's, it's really, really difficult to know in what areas we're not necessarily being mature. And I think this is why community is so important. Why having really good friends and really good spiritual relationships are important because the benefit of, of really healthy spiritual relationships and connectedness is this, um, you know, suppose I'm in, you know, me and a handful of other people are like, we have a, we have really healthy spiritual relationships with one another. There is, there is the space for a person 
to in a in a, in an actual loving way uh, share with me a concern they have for something I'm doing, uh, and. And there's also a freedom that I have to like to kind of be me and know that I I'm 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 not going to just be you know kicked out of that circle of relationships that those 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 spiritual relationships are so tight they're so integral to all of our experience that that people can kind of pick me up when I'm down you know when I'm when I'm not at my best, right. They can, they can have grace for me. Or if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not being at my best for an extended period of time and it's becoming, or is a kind of a blind spot for me, they, a person has the freedom to speak into my life, right. And to encourage me and to, and to build me up and to help me to become a better version of who I currently am being. So uh, spiritual maturity is going to be very difficult to grow into in isolation, right? Which I just think is another benefit of being in a, in a truly, um, a truly loving community, uh, where, where people are they're they're okay with having difficult and awkward conversations because they know that like that the outcome of that conversation doesn't have to mean, well, we can't be friends anymore. No, it's like we, we have these conversations because we actually have a deep affection and love for one another and that's not going to go away. Um, so, uh, yeah. So if you're trying to do some self-analysis, just look at, look at your, you like, don't, don't just take for granted that your that, that you, your heart is in the right place. Right. Uh, or that you think you are doing, um, you know, like in your own mind, you sort of convinced yourself that you're, that you're a spiritually mature person, like go ahead and actually look at the way, um, spiritual maturity is, is, or is not being exhibited in your life. You know, like do a catalog of what this past day has looked like, you know, or, or have the, are, are the relationships that you have, uh, are they, are they being fostered in a positive way? Or is it just, is it almost like just a wake of destruction, you know, practically everywhere you go? If that's the case, it's a really good chance that maybe you're lacking in some spiritual maturity. Are you practicing the disciplines? Uh, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not making a habit of something like, like prayer, of, of reading God's word, of meditating, um, then it's really, really hard to, for, it's hard for me to imagine that a person can actually have a close and intimate relationship with God, a spiritually mature relationship with God. If you're not learning how, um, like how to have adult like conversations with him, you know, like that there, there's, there's a need for us to grow close to him to, you know, to begin to understand his mind, just like we would with any other person, right? We have to spend time with a person to get to know them and to be near to them, uh, to grow into a, a more mature version of our relationship. Like I have people, I have people that I have very just distant kind of relationships with, right? I mean, think of a, you know, a person that, you know, in my case, it might be, you know, somebody who's a golf buddy, right? A person that I'll see, yeah, maybe, uh, once every couple of weeks during the golf season, um, maybe, maybe hang out with that person for a little bit. And, but the conversations are not necessarily all that, that deep, right? It's just where we're kind of bound together by our affinity for 
um, for a hobby and, and, uh, and that's it. So I don't really, I, like, I don't, uh, sure. Maybe we've asked questions like, Hey, what do you do for a living? How many kids do you have? Um, you know, that kind of thing. But it's like, we don't, we don't have a really, really deep knowledge, uh, of one another's lives. The only way that that, that deep knowledge, the, the, that for that person to really know me and for me to really know that other person is we have to spend time together and converse with one another. And so again, I just, I imagine, I have a hard time imagining that a person can actually be growing close to God if they're not, if they're not doing the kinds of things that allow for us to grow close to God. You can say in your heart, it's like, you can say all you want, like, I love God, right? Like in my heart, my heart's there. And, you know, I do, I really, really love Jesus. Like, okay, well, can you, could you, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but like um, for me, but if I were, if I were to, could you, could you demonstrate by way of how that's actually being exhibited through your life that you're actually developing a deep and personal relationship with God? Is there, is there, are there things that you can say to me? It's like, okay, well, you know, this is, this is how this is actually happening. If you can't, then I, I, I really question whether or not you're growing spiritually mature. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to other relationships, you know, same thing, uh, just, you know, are there, are there things in and about my life that are clearly in contradiction with what, with what God wants for me that I'm, I just, you know, continue in, uh, with, without any real remorse or willingness to move away from that. I mean, there's, there's, I think, you know, that, that could be a measurement of some spiritual immaturity. Uh, next question is in light of pastor appreciation month, what's the hardest part? I know this may be awkward to answer, but I really want to know. Um, so this is, this is actually written by Sharon Rogers, our executive administrator, which you can all see if you're watching this. Um, yeah, thanks Sharon. She says she really wants to know, <laughs> like she's going to try and make me cry on the podcast or something <laughs> talking about what's the hardest part. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> I'd say, I'd say the, probably the hardest part is for me, I just kind of like speak from my experience as a, as a, as a lead pastor of a church. I think the hardest part is that you, you just, you're, you're always living with a sense that you're failing, like, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just, there's, there's uh for, there's a small there's, there's, there's a really, really small number of people that are, that are pastors that I think are just clearly and, you know, overwhelmingly, they just like every sign points to success, right? Because their church is, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the biggest church a hundred miles around. Um, they're, they're writing books. They're being asked to speak at conferences. Like people are coming to them to find out how and why they're so awesome things like that. And I guess if that were, if that were your story, it, it might be easy to see that it's like, um, yeah, a lot of success here, but I think for the average, I think for just the average person that's pastoring a church, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to not have that nagging feeling that, that, that you're failing, 
right? That I like, that's, it's just, it's a feeling that I live with every single day. Um, and some days are better than others. Right. But it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of there. Uh, the, I've had, uh, you know, in just kind of speaking from Archer, it's like, I mean, we've, we've seen, we've seen people leave, right? So every time a person leaves, like that's a, it's really hard to to not take that personally. Uh, If I owned, if I owned a restaurant, right. And I had this family that came in uh, every single week for a meal, right. And then eventually they just stopped and they hadn't, they hadn't moved away. They just, they stopped coming to my restaurant. Right. But I had had enough conversations with them week after week after week for many, many years. And, uh, and then, and then all of a sudden they just, they're just not there anymore. And I, I run into them somewhere else in the community. They're like, Hey, where have you been? And you know, it's just, there's like this awkward kind of, you know, but clearly they're, they're not, they're not coming to my restaurant anymore because they're, uh, they're, they've found a better restaurant. Uh, a restaurant that they like more, or, uh, you know, uh, maybe they had some kind of experience or something that just sort of set them off. And, and that was that I think it's, it's just really hard not to take that personally. And in, in the world of church, we just, we see that all the time. Like our churches in America, in a community like ours, very, very transitory. Right. And so you have, um, literally in the time that I've been lead pastor here, you know, we've had people, uh, who have, who have, you know, like if you drive up Westview drive and you go to the traffic light, like we've had people that have taken a right, you know, and have become part of a church, you know, down the road that way we have people that have taken a left and become part of, uh, you know, church or churches in, in that direction, right? We have lots of churches. And so, um, so it, there's this, there's this feeling that like, like people are leaving you right? Um, as a, as a pastor, you have, you have people that are in your lives and then they leave your lives. And I don't know, I I suppose that if I, if I worked in a regular place, you know, with a whole bunch of people and somebody took a job and went somewhere else, you know, it's like, you know, I I could miss that person. Right. And, and, but that, that it probably, I wouldn't, unless, unless they told me what I just can't work with you anymore. And so, um, I, I got another job, right. That doesn't usually happen. They just, they, they, they got another job and so off they go. And, and, um, while it may be sad to see somebody leave that, you know, that's just, that's the way it works. Right. I mean, people, people come and go, but if the church is actually, you know, truly a family, right. Where we're developing, um, some, in some cases we're developing friendships, but even, even for people that are, I wouldn't say, all right, this is a close friend of mine. It's just like the idea that, you know, I didn't, I didn't do well enough, right? I didn't preach well enough. I didn't lead well enough. I, there, you know, clearly there's just something about, um, about, about me or, or, or this thing that I'm, that I'm responsible for that's not good enough. Right. And so you have, you have people that are just, that are exiting your lives, um, all the time. Just, this just kind of comes with the territory. So yeah, uh, that's probably, I'd say that's probably the hardest part. So thank you, Sharon. I'm not going to say working with Sharon is the hardest part. That's one of the best parts for whatever it's worth. No. All right. Next question. What does it look like to, what does it look like to practically implement spiritual maturity? Does it start with an evaluation of our own hearts? Okay. We, I think we've, we've talked uh, a lot about 
ways in which we, you know, can grow spiritually mature. Again, lots of resources out there. Uh, but does it start with an evaluation of our own hearts? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a really good place to start. I think what, what's really important, you know, if we're, if we're going to think about, you know, something like what's in our hearts and what we desire, I, I think the start, the best starting place for our desire is to, um, is to move, like move closer to God, right. To, to just recognize that we, we, we all are, we are where we are. Like, that's just, that's just the fact of the matter. We are where we are. Like all the experiences of our lives have kind of brought us to this place where we are right now. Right. Um, what I need to want is I need to want to move forward. I want, I need to want to have a deeper relationship with God. I need to want to have a deeper connection to my faith community, right? This thing called the church. And so in that, right, you can, I, I really believe you can bring that desire to God. And, um, and, and while, I, yeah, there could be blind spots, there could be just glaring areas of immaturity uh, in our lives. That's fine. God's, he's perfectly happy to work with uh, that lump of clay in whatever form or shape it happens to be in. Right. And then he's just going to, he's going to start spinning the wheel, right. And, and, and take the clay into his hands and he's going to start molding and making it into something, right. Because he has a picture, he has a, he has a vision for what that vessel could ultimately become, even though we look at it and we just think this is, you know, this is a, this is a mound of clay that should just be thrown back into the, to the clay pit and, and forgotten about discarded, you know, God doesn't do that. He, he, you know, he molds and he shapes it, um, into what he wants it to be. And so, we, we can do that evaluation, I think with God's help, you know, of, of just putting ourselves before God and trying to be as vulnerable and bare before him as we possibly can really trying to be honest with him and, and discovering like how, you know, how do I, how do I move ahead? Where, like, where do I go from here? Right. Uh, so we can do that ourselves again. I'm just, I mean, I sound like I'm, um, like I'm just saying it over and over again, but it's just so important. We need community. We need other people around us. We need people that we can forge spiritual relationships with that we can both depend on. And also at, at some point, you know, maybe not right now, but maybe down the road, um, uh, that we can invest into and speak into ourselves. Like we need those relationships without them. We're just, um, we're, you know, we're like, we're like a coal that's been separated from the fire. That's just like, it's just, it's, it's slowly burning out. Right. Um, you know, a, a whole bunch of coals together creates heat, right. And warmth, um, and light. But you take one of those and you kind of remove it from the rest of the fire. And it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't fuel anything. It, it just itself dies out. And so, so we really need community. Um, if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna actually grow into what I believe God has in mind for us. Next question is, can we have us, can we have a reminder summary of how Paul transformed from a mere human to a spiritual human who became such a spiritual leader for the Corinthian church? Um, yeah, I mean, I can give, I probably a, a brief overview, but if you want to read about it, it, it really won't take very long. 
Paul's story is in Acts. Um, I think I'm just going to look up here. Acts chapter eight. Yeah. So, you know, we're introduced to this character named Saul in Acts chapter eight, who becomes the apostle Paul. And so you kind of see where he's at. So Paul or Saul, uh, he is a very, very devout Jew, uh, not just a Jew, but a Jewish leader, right? He's, uh, when we're introduced to him, there's, there's a sense in which, you know, God, where he is at least overseeing the, the, the execution of a person who became a Christian. Uh, we don't know to what degree he may have, uh, overseen or even possibly participated in, uh, the, the, the execution or the imprisonment of however many people, I mean, in his own testimony, he talks about, you know, where he came from and, um, he was definitely, uh, he was like just enemy of the church. Number one, uh, he was very passionate. Like he, his, his life was committed to and driven by the idea of snuffing out this, this fledgling Christian movement, right? He saw it as dangerous, uh, to his religion, his people, to the welfare of his community. And he needed it gone. Like he was not happy to just kind of let it be, excuse me. And, um, and you know, he wasn't going to just be a person that didn't participate. And it's like, all right, let, let just let that thing be. It'll, it'll kind of die off on his own. No, he, he wanted to put it out. And then, um, and then when he, he encountered Jesus and he was converted, right. And, um, and, uh, he had this incredible experience where, <coughs> excuse me, Jane, I think I'm going to die here. Um, <laughs> so this is not me getting emotional, by the way, this is just me with a tickle in my throat, Sharon. Um, so, <clears throat> so Paul has, he, he has this incredible conversion experience, very dramatic, um, very unlike most of our experiences. And, um, and he's given some direction, you know, to, to go to a certain place and to seek out, um, a certain person he's blind, right? He, he's been blinded by this light. Um, and, uh, he, um, and so he, he kind of goes forward and he, like what happens is he becomes a, a, a student, like a brand new student of, the very people that he was persecuting and going after. And they begin just kind of opening up the Old Testament scriptures, which he was very familiar with, <coughs> but pointing out how, okay, this experience you had of just of um, encountering Jesus, like this is the, this is the Messiah who was foretold, who was prophesied about um, in the scriptures. And, and so he begins learning not only about, um, you know, who this person is. Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, he, he himself is over a period of time becoming more and more convinced that, you know, Jesus is actually the Messiah, um, the one chosen to, to rescue his people. And so he was, he was exactly the kind of person that would have seen the crucifixion of somebody like Jesus as a proper and fitting and humiliating death that, you know, such a person would deserve. And so he goes from that to understanding the true impact of the events of the cross and what that meant and what God intended to do 
uh, for all of humankind um, through that through that event. And and, uh, and so but Paul goes through this process where he he sort of submits himself uh, under the the uh, the the teaching uh, of people who have now been following Jesus for uh, for some time and can instruct him and help him to grow. Uh, he, he was a, he was already a very, very devout person, a very passionate person about what cause was important to him. So it, it probably wasn't very difficult to him once he began to see, I mean, while it was still a 180 degree turn from where he was going originally, um, I think that same passion and zeal, uh, then followed him into his Christian life. And so, um, yeah, with that, he he becomes probably what we might consider like the the most significant Christian leader. Um, I mean, that's that's arguable. You could um, you could think Peter, uh, somebody like Peter, or uh, even James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, yeah, you know, as obviously kind of being way up there as well. Uh, but Paul had this, and, and Jesus even <laughs> reveals, you know, to um, uh, to us that like Paul was going to Paul, God had a special plan for Paul's life. And, and, and that special plan was going to, um, it was going to come about with a commensurate degree of suffering that he was also, um, going to be asked to experience, right? And Paul's life was nothing short of that. It was a it was a glorious and wonderful um, kind of life where he was incredibly used by God to make a, to to bring the gospel to whole entire regions of the world. Um, and, and see like churches just springing up from place to place. I mean, he was going to places that were completely and utterly barren uh, from a Christian's perspective and starting works there um, out of, out of kind of nothing. And, but with that, he also, he had an incredible number of hardships that he went through. Um, And so, and I think that a lot of times is the, you know, these things do go hand in hand, right? If we, if we understand something like adversity, uh, while it's not something we want to invite into our lives, Adversity really does grow things in our lives. It grows a kind of resilience. Um, it, uh, when you find yourself in a place where you absolutely have to trust God for everything, right? Um, then, well, guess what? Your faith is going to grow into something that is just incredible. As opposed to many of us, we we have to rely and trust in God for practically nothing, right? For, for very, very little. Most of us, we have, uh, we have steady streams of income that are, that are allowing us to live fairly comfortable lives, fairly secure lives from a financial standpoint. I mean, we can, we can complain about how much groceries cost, but very few of us are actually, uh, like going without a meal, you know, or starving. Right. So we, we don't have, uh, we don't have the, the, the experience of like that utter dependence on God that you'll find when you read stories about people that have just lived these these incredible lives of faith, right? These giants of faith. Well, that faith didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It's not just something that, you know, this person happened to have. Usually it was grown out of some particular experience. And so um, he was, if we're talking about a difference between 
somebody who was merely human and somebody who was a spiritual human. I think Paul, he demonstrates, you know, the, the very, very big difference between like who these people are, right? Paul moved from being a person who, when he was opposing Jesus and the movement, um, of Jesus's people, he was, he was, he was working as hard as he could, uh, as hard as he humanly could, right? Like he had, he had what he possessed as a mere human being. Uh, but when he received God's spirit into his life, he actually became very, very, very superhuman. Like he did things that were humanly speaking, unimaginable. Um, he was used in ways that were humanly speaking, unimaginable because he was filled with God's spirit. Uh, the reality is that that is that that ability to live in the realm of the spiritual it is actually available to every one of us as well right this is not something that's just merely um for paul and and uh it's 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 really just kind of a question of whether we're going to be satisfied and content with living as mere humans or if we're going to actually grow into the more spiritual beings that god wants us to grow into and finally, uh, the last question is, can the fruit of the spirit be used to measure our spiritual maturity? And are they genuine fruits, not just behavior modification? So I do think that the, um, I think the fruit of the spirit is a, you know, does provide some pretty good indicators uh, of how we are, uh, of, of kind of how we are, like where we are, um, from a maturity standpoint, uh, the fruit of the spirit, of course, is, you know, you know, a lot of things that are not that, that, that people will express and manifest whether they're Christians or not. Right. I mean, uh, Galatians five twenty two. this is the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is joy, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, I mean, there are people that don't know Jesus that exercise self-control. There are people who aren't Christians that, uh, that have a high degree and high capacity for love. Right. So it's not a, you know, because, a because a person has the fruit of the spirit does not necessarily mean that they are like spiritually mature in the sense that, that, um, you know, that we were, that we were talking about, but it, but they are, but they are definitely indicators, right? I think that the extent to which we don't have these fruit being exhibited through our lives will, they will actually sort of contraindicate, <laughs> um, spiritual immaturity, right? Like the, the lack of peace, right? If I'm, if I'm, if I, if I am walking around this world with no peace, <laughs> I just like, I am, I am full of anxiety and worry all the time. Uh, and uh, well, there's that, that there, that there's a, there's a way in which I'm being spiritually immature, right? There's, there's an area of growth that needs to be addressed because that's not, that's not what God has for me. God doesn't have for me to, 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 to walk around in anxiety. I mean, Jesus said, like, don't be anxious. Don't worry about tomorrow. Right. Um, if I, if I'm not a loving person, you know, I, I, then there's, that is indicative of spiritual immaturity. Um, now the fruit of the spirit is like the, the way this is listed, it's, it's, it's sort of listed as kind of the antithesis to the works of the flesh, right? That Paul talks about earlier in the chapter. 
Um, so he's talking about verse 16, how we are to walk by the spirit so that we don't fulfill the desires of our flesh, right. Of just, of just merely living out the base, um, kind of human instincts and cravings that just naturally, uh, play out in the mere human's life. Right. Um, he says there's, there is as a person that has God's spirit in them, there's, there's now this kind of war that's going on between these two natures, right? The, the fleshly nature that we all have, that's universal to every one of us and the spirit nature, right? That we receive when we become, uh, followers of Jesus. And these two things are always working against one another, right? And so he uses some examples. He says the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar, right? Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in other words. And he says, like, these are these are expressions of the uh, acting out according to the flesh. Um, but, in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? And, and he lists what are the fruit of the Spirit. These are these are clearly the works of God's spirit. And so, um, as such, I think they, they do provide an indication of whether or not we are, uh, spiritually mature and they can help us. Uh, like I said, I mean, just in the example that I used of, of love and the example I used of uh, peace, like if we're lacking in those things that I think they give us opportunities to find ways in which we can grow. So, uh, that's all we have for today. And, um, yeah. Thank you so much for being with us and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us and we can't wait to be with you next week.